NFL Conference Championship betting market breakdown. Suma, we've got two great games on the books, a short card, but luckily a compelling card. So let's get right to it. NFC Championship game, San Francisco at Philadelphia. This one, an interesting case study in market movement, because as far as the point spread goes, we saw a soft world opener of Philadelphia minus three and a half. Now that lasted less than a minute, but some plus threes for San Francisco did last all of about seven minutes. And I think we can say a true opener was more in the range of Eagles minus one and a half, where more books made this widely available, taking some real bets. So at that soft world opener, Philly minus three and a half, we saw plenty of Niners money. At the more true opener, Eagles minus one and a half, we've seen Philadelphia money coming the other way. Current consensus, Eagles minus two and a half, shaded towards a three at a lot of books, total 46 and a half. What's your early read on this NFC championship game, San Francisco at Philadelphia? I think that's a good range to bounce between until the weekend and when when the uh, major bulk of the money will enter the market. Um, probably the two best teams top to bottom, not the two best in general, but I, I would guess that uh, they are the two, uh, argue that they are the two best teams in the NFC and in the NFL, two best teams um, from top to bottom. Eagles, Interesting home field advantage. I think that the link is going to go nuts. Uh, Eagles are coming with that um, buy advantage. They are basically completely healthy. Um, Niners are on a on an absolute heater. Twelve wins in a row, something like that, or, or eleven wins. I, I don't remember correctly, but yeah, I think for both teams, this is going to be a completely different matchup this week because the Dallas offense was very underwhelming. Like too much short stuff, not not really trying to push the ball down the field. And when uh, Tony Pollard went down, their EPA per play dropped significantly because I think at this point, everyone who watches the Cowboys games will know that Zeke is cooked or whatever. I mean, um, every time he touches the ball, you can basically bet on a two or three yard gain and that's it. Like no explosive to his game, and that that really showed up in the second half because they also continued to to feed him the ball. And outside of CD Lamb, there is not really any receiver for the Cowboys that was able to step up. Michael Gallup had had a few issues when the wrong route, where uh, Prescott threw that interception. And this week, the Niners, Niners will face the Eagles, completely different team, better team. Um, Eagles are very well coached on both sides of the ball and they also are very well coached when it comes to in-game decision making and that was probably my biggest critic with the 49ers last Sunday that yes they won 19-12 to uh, Brock Purdy didn't play a great game whatsoever they were still able to, to win because the Cowboys were ended to score but the in-game decisions that Kyle Shanahan made, like punting on fourth and two from the Dallas 38-yard line, uh, or fourth and three, kicking the ball on fourth and two from the Dallas 20, um, and being ultra ultra conservative, like that last drive before halftime, the Niners had like 150 on the clock, two timeouts. That's an automatic drive to go for a touchdown, but they decided to run out the clock and maybe go for a field goal. So, And I think this has been an issue with Kyle Shanahan 
for the majority of his um, head coaching career in San Francisco that he's always ultra conservative and doesn't want to be that aggressive. And I think now with the Eagles, they will face a coaching staff with Nick Sirianni that are basically playing every single edge they have. They will not punt on fourth and two on the Niners for uh, fourth and two. Um, the Eagles should also have the offensive line to get more going against that uh, 49ers front. And they have two great receivers who can expose some of the weaknesses uh, in the San Francisco um, secondary, especially at cornerback too. So di different, more difficult matchup for the 49ers. Also on a road, I'm expecting a tough crowd and we have to assume not everything in terms of communication with a seventh round rookie and Brock Purdy will be completely fine. So I think that anything close to minus three is a very good number. It tells us that A, the Eagles are overall the slightly better team and the market is making in some home field advantage which makes perfect sense to me. will be very interesting where the market moves um, over the weekend when the bulk of the money will enter the market. But for now, I think anything between two and a half and three is a very, very good market price. A lot of good key talking points you just hit on there. I'll have a few quick follow-ups for you. First off, when the Eagles have the ball, I know there's been a lot of talk about strength of schedule and we can save that for more narrative-based shows. But... I think it's fair to say that San Francisco's defense is a step up in class against what the Eagles have faced throughout much of the season. Again, I'm not so tied up in who they've played as opposed to how they've played. And they've played very well, especially looking at when they've had Jalen Hurts under center. One thing with the threat the Niners defense could pose to grounding the Eagles rushing attack. I know that a good rush defense doesn't always translate to containing a good rushing quarterback. Now, Hurts, not quite 100%, but he does bring that dynamic, the, the dual threat ability to the table here. So I'm wondering, when it comes to Jalen Hurts' impact, even when he's not keeping the ball, but when he hands off to running backs and the defense can freeze because they have to respect the threat of Hurts running, just how much do you think that might play into things when we think about the Niners' run defense from season-long levels as opposed to this particular matchup? You make a fantastic point, and that is something that gets not talked about uh, enough, in my opinion, because you cannot compare rush defense to rush defense. Because as soon as teams face a dual-threat quarterback like Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, or Jalen Hurts, the whole complexity of the defense changes. You're you are suddenly playing 11 on 11 instead of 10 on 11, and having a dual-threaded quarterback who also runs the ball very efficiently like Jalen Hurts opens up the offense and puts a lot of stress on the opposing defense. So in general, that kind of rushing offense is always more productive and efficient than non-QB rushing offenses. So you always have to account for that when looking at season-long data. When it comes to the Niners, yes, they have played a very easy schedule, and they have not faced a dual threat quarterback since week one, which was Justin Fields, and that was the crazy weather wind Wayne game. Um, Kyler Murray uh, was, I think, out in both games against the Niners this season. Um, the first one was in Mexico, and the last one he was already on IR, I guess. So the Niners have not faced th this type of defense, and just from a from a from a from a range of expect range of expectations point of view 
we should not be surprised if the Eagles have a very successful day on the ground, which might not really have anything too much to do with the quality of the Niners defense, but with the strength of the Eagles offense, because offense usually dictates matchups. Offense is more predictive, especially when it comes to these dual threat uh, rushing offenses. The Niners, they are arguably a, a top three defense from a personal standpoint, but we should not be surprised if they have their hands full handing the Eagles offensive line and that rushing attack um, this upcoming Sunday. But to be fair, the strength of uh, strength of schedule argument also applies to the Eagles because they have also not played the toughest schedule of opposing offenses. Yeah, I think we're looking at a step up in class for both sides here and flipping things over when the Niners have the ball. want to ask you a bit about Brock Purdy because the more I watch him, the more I wonder if he doesn't have nine lives. It seems like from a physical standpoint, this is just my gut reaction. I would love to see if there's a stat out there on the percentage of his turnover-worthy plays that don't actually result in turnovers. I feel like there's been some off-the-charts good fortune for San Francisco, and that's not to take away from Purdy's poise and competence given the situation he's been thrown into. I think it's fair to say that he has exceeded expectations with his performance, but that he's also been pretty fortunate in some key moments. So physically, there's that dynamic of turnover-worthy plays possibly translating into turnovers in the NFC Championship game, whereas they haven't for much of Purdy's run so far under center in San Francisco. And then mentally, you touched on a key moment in the divisional round. The Niners did get that field goal at the end of the first half, but Purdy almost blew that opportunity, holding the ball for a long time and uh, ended up clocking it with one second left. So the Niners in the nick of time got through, but that could have been an extremely costly mental error to go along with some physical limitations for a seventh round rookie quarterback overall I know that Purdy has been elevated significantly by a great game planner in Kyle Shanahan and a great supporting cast but now it sounds like Christian McCaffrey Elijah Mitchell I think we can assume they're going to play but McCaffrey and Mitchell maybe a little bit less than 100 percent so considering the stats the record for Purdy it's really glowing at this point but possibly some regression to the mean in terms of turnover-worthy plays, and then the supporting cast maybe not being as healthy this week as it has been in weeks past. Do either of those factors shade your outlook on this game in any way when it comes to San Francisco's potential offensive output? Probably, yes. I think that the Niners on offense are a very well-oiled machine that can put a beating on any below-average defense. And Brock Purdy has shown the ability to execute that that offense, especially with all these throws over the middle, with, with in-breaking routes, like the classic Shanahan offense. Uh, also, what Tua Tagovailoa is playing under Mike McDaniel so far. Um, but I also think, and you made all the good, all the good and correct points, is that Brock Purdy has been kind of exposed already for a few times. But it did not matter, and we are not talking about it too much because the Niners were winning. Because it was still enough in the end to overcome some of the mental errors or, or their defense was just stepping up. So, yes, especially uh, also against Dallas, he had like three or four turnover-worthy plays alone in, in that game where he got very fortunate. I think the Eagles' defense is also a step-up in class. Good defensive line, also deep defensive line, two great uh, stud cornerbacks and also see uh, Johnson Gunnar Johnson who can also cover the slot. 
I think they will make it harder on San Francisco. Uh, the Eagles are kind of weak at linebacker and middle of the field safety. So that's an area that Shannon usually likes to attack. I will be very uh, curious, curious to see how Jonathan Garen will try to, to defend those, um, those passes over the middle. But in general, yes, it's a step up in class. The Eagles might be able to penetrate the pocket a little bit more than recent uh, 49ers um, uh, opponents. And when his turnover luck runs out, this could also be a game where Brock Purdy has like one or two um, turnovers and the Fernandes are suddenly behind on the scoreboard and have to chase chase the score. This could absolutely happen here. One more follow-up for you on this game, an X-Factor that you touched on a bit when I first teed you up on this matchup. I think a lot of the outcome could boil down to game planning versus game management. And few coaches are better than Kyle Shanahan when it comes to game planning, scheming for the pieces you have available against the team that you'll be going against. And at the same time, you touched on some pretty big shortcomings that didn't end up being too consequential recently when it comes to what to do on fourth downs, clock management, the Eagles really excel in that area. So when it comes to an upper hand that Shanahan could have putting his scheme together versus an upper hand that Sirianni and that Eagles staff could have when it comes to in game decisions, which of those factors do you think matters more? I uh, saw a tweet from Joel Wertheimer at Wertweil. Uh, on Twitter. He posted this on, on Monday, I guess, and I will just quote this. NFL coaches work like 90 hours weeks, grind tape and game plan, ruin their families to find marginal edges and then just waste 10% of win probability for no reason every week. And I think th this is such a great tweet and in my opinion applies to Kyle Shanahan last, last Sunday because if the Cowboys won that game, let's say 2019 or something, on a late touchdown or whatever, we could make the case that Cal Shanahan was the biggest driver of that failure because he was not pushing the edges in, in uh, key moments. And it, it's funny you say that Cal Shanahan is, is, is such a great schema and such a great, great game planner, but then why doesn't he feel like he can use his great scheme and his great play calls on a fourth and two on the opposing 38-yard line. That thing drives me nuts when I'm sitting on my couch on Sundays. Yes, I'm sitting on my couch. That guy's actually coaching an NFL game. But I think that just from a logical point of view, like when you have a top five offense, you are great at scheming, you have great playmakers. Why can you not or, or why are you not willing to put these playmakers in a position to succeed on fourth and two? I just don't get it. And that's the biggest difference between the Niners and the Eagles, in my opinion, because Nick Sirianni is pushing all these edges on a weekly basis. Like fourth and two, he has a dual threat running back. He has two great weapons on the outside. He, he's got Dallas Goddard, top five tight end. He's going for it. Fourth and one, quarterback sneak with Goddard and a fullback and a running back pushing Hurts um, over the line of scrimmage. Like, this should be automatic when you have a good offense. And the Niners have a good offense, but it's not automatic because Kachanen, for whatever reason, always wants to be conservative instead of aggressive. And I just don't get it. And I would also not be surprised if that factor could be a major difference come Sunday. 
I think that is something to certainly keep an eye out for in the NFC Championship game. And I think we've covered that game about as well as we can at this stage. Want to be sure not to give short shrift to the AFC title game that will be following 49ers at the Eagles. And in the AFC Championship game, it's going to look pretty familiar if you watched the game last year. Cincinnati at Kansas City once again. And we've also seen some really interesting market movement in this matchup for an obvious reason that we will touch on in detail, I'm sure. But this point spread, a soft world opener of Kansas City minus three, even money is what I recall seeing. And that lasted less than seven minutes. I think it was gone before Cincinnati Buffalo even went final. So we can say that the true opener was probably Kansas City minus one and a half. That's when a lot more books, again, that take bigger bets that offer more widely available options really came online with this one. So we can say Chiefs minus one and a half is a true opener. Also the total here. A soft opener, 51 and a half, and we saw Sharper Books open at 47 and a half. That has even come down. In fact, if the total has come down a bit, the spread has come way down and flipped favorites. We've seen a current consensus as of Tuesday morning kind of settle in at Cincinnati minus two and a half, total 46 and a half. Suma, I think it all comes down to the status of Patrick Mahomes. What's your early read on that situation? Yes, a lot of uncertainty this week. Um, yes, Patrick Mahomes came back into the game and he played in the second half and probably played the quarterback position as well on a high ankle sprain as we have ever seen before and probably will ever see in the future. Like, I would, I would assume that there is no other quarterback who could do this on such a high ankle sprain, the way that he played in the second half. However, he was still severely limited, like almost zero mobility. Yes, he was able to move the pocket, but he could not really stem on his right uh, leg when going, going into throwing motion. It doesn't matter as much for Patrick Mahomes because he can throw from like all different platforms and, and angles. And I think what we saw in the second half is going to be the best case scenario this week. Like a guy who is hampered by his um, right ankle, who cannot move around very well, who might not scramble at all, and somehow looks for ways to move in the pocket and distribute the ball. I think this is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is, despite all the comments, that he might not end up playing. Because when it comes to these high ankle sprains, there's one major issue, and that's swelling. You cannot do anything against swelling. You can... Uh, contain that with this um, what's the name like the this this um, air pressure boot that you can can put on your foot or whatever that that really tries to to sucks out the the swelling a little bit you can cool it but in general you cannot prevent swelling and the fact that he played the second half on that ankle would lead me to assume that there is going to be some major swelling this week. I don't think that we will see him practicing at all. And then it will come down to how much has the swelling gone away when it comes to Sunday. And when there is still a lot of swelling, I think there's a scenario in which Chad Henney gets the start. And if the swelling is gone, which I'm not sure whether that's 100% possible, he will still play on a high ankle sprain and probably be severely limited when it comes to his mobility. So worst case, he might not play. Best case, he plays like in the second half against the Jaguars. 
And I think then we have a full probability distribution somewhere in the middle that um, he will likely play, but um, yes, heavily taped uh, with some pain, not moving around, hobbling a little bit, and then trying to make the best of it. And in all these scenarios, I think the um, Bengals should be favored um, because the Bengals should be able to put up some scores here. They have shown a great ability to move the ball down the field against um, the Bills. And what's so funny about last week is that the market, in my opinion, rightfully priced in the three um, key absences along the Bengals offensive line with Alex Kepper, Jonah Williams, um, Lyle Collins uh, has been out for three or four weeks already. So they were missing three key starters along their offensive line. And yes, we were thinking about, okay, the Bengals have found more ways to move the ball, more quick game or the course of the season, more quick game against these uh, cover two high looks. But um, when it comes to obvious passing situations, can the offensive line hold up well against that um, uh, Bills defense, etc.? What happens when they are behind on the scoreboard? And I think that just based on expectations with that offensive line, we saw like a 99th percentile outcome because they were not just able to move the ball through the air with their quick game. But that offensive line filled with backups and third stringers was also like hammering the Bills in, in the trenches. And that's something that I could have never imagined. And that's, an, that's a very important data point when it comes to this week, because one of the biggest concerns was their offensive line. And they showed us that they can play around that. So last week could have been an outlier, and this week against Steve Spagnuolo, it, it won't get easier. They uh, And the Chiefs also have a few buddies along their defensive line, like Chris Jones, uh, Frank Clark on a good day, Rookie Kalafdis, who collectively could put up some pressure on that offensive line. And then, we'll, and then it will come down again to can the Bengals methodically, with their quick, day, quick game, move the ball down the field. And also what happens when they get when they got scoring pressure. But now we are talking about Patrick Mahomes playing maybe on one foot, which decreases the uh, offensive expectation for the Chiefs. Now we think that they might not be able to put too much scoring pressure on the Bengals. And in that case, the offensive line will, again, be less of an issue. So um, no matter how we spin it, I think the Bengals should be favored here. And the practice reports and the reports out of Chiefs camp um, later this week will probably dictate where the line is going to head. I think if, if Mahomes is out, this will easily uh, cross the three because Chad Henney looked great on that one scripted drive um, against the Jaguars defense, but this week it will be a full game against arguably one of the best defensive coordinators in the game right now. Uh, Lou and Romo, Big Lou, and that's that's a different matchup. Um, so I could easily see this going to, I don't know, four and a half, five and a half, maybe even minus six on the road against Chad Henney. And if Mahomes is, is in, we will probably be bounced anywhere between a pick him and a minus three, depending on how um, much the, the market prices in that uncertainty with his um, high ankle sprain. 
Wow. So I'm really surprised to hear that you think this might go, if I heard correctly, potentially as high as Cincinnati minus six if we get word that Mahomes is out. And I've heard a lot of people say Mahomes is worth more than a touchdown, less than 10 points to the point spread. And if I recall correctly, Jeffrey Benson over at Circa had said that after Saturday's games, before Sunday's games this past weekend, they would have had the Chiefs, I believe it was minus six or minus six and a half hosting Cincinnati. That's assuming Mahomes at full strength. Now we have to factor in the Mahomes injury. We have to factor in what the Bengals showed us in a very impressive showing on Sunday at Buffalo. But even with all that considered, I feel like if this were to cross three, even as soon as a Cincinnati minus three and a half, even if we knew that Mahomes was out, I feel like we might see some resistance and a buy point on Kansas City. But that's just what I've heard early in this week. And it sounds like if you hear that Mahomes is going to be out and it's Chad Henney under center, then three and a half is by no means a stopping point for Cincinnati as an even stronger favorite than they already are. Yes, that's my assumption. I can easily see some buy points on the Chiefs at like, I don't know, four and a half, five and a half, six, six probably the floor in that case. But I also would not be surprised because the Bengals with uh, with a Burrow against Chahani, that's a completely different matchup as you were playing a, a healthy Patrick Mahomes. With a healthy Patrick Mahomes, I would have set this line anywhere between minus three, minus 3.5. Today I tweeted out that I would have expected it somewhere in the minus three, minus 120 range for KC. Jeffrey Benson like, uh, liked the tweet. So I'm assuming that uh, Circa would not have been far off of that because, like I said, we also got that very important data point on the Bengals um, last week against the Bills. And let's say we anchor our line with a healthy, with a healthy Mahomes to minus three, minus 120. I think going across the three towards minus four and a half, minus five in that range would be a reasonable move. All right. So I was going to ask if this was a scenario in which we might have another obvious teaser on our hands. Whereas last week, the, the teaser that everybody was probably on cashed incredibly comfortably in the nightcap. It was actually that Chiefs game that gave everybody a sweat once Mahomes went down. But on the heels of the teaser of the century coming through with flying colors. I think a lot of people right now seeing two underdogs in the range of plus two and a half, eyeing the possibility of getting San Francisco and Kansas city teased up to plus eight and a half. Well, that could have plenty of intrigue across much of the marketplace safe to assume based on your most recent comments that maybe it's not worth pulling the trigger just yet on Kansas city, because if we don't see Mahomes, then that chiefs plus eight and a half teaser leg is not something you'd want in the portfolio. Yes, um, our friend Plus TV Analytics, Matt Buchhalter, had a great Twitter thread on on that teaser opportunity uh, where he priced in or at least explained all the uncertainty and why it's not worth putting in a teaser with the Chiefs right now. Go over on Twitter at Plus TV, Plus TV Analytics. Great follow and a great uh, thread on that uh, teaser, teaser option. And yes, we are just dealing with too much uncertainty, in my opinion, to lock in a, a teaser on KC because there are so many things that could happen from Mahomes uh, playing very well on a uh, swelling heel ankle up to Patrick Mahomes completely not being able to do anything against that against that defense playing on one leg to Chad Henney um, maybe uh, potentially starting. So too much uncertainty. For my case, even though um, it's 
currently in the classic wrong teaser window. All right. Well, from an area where there's plenty of uncertainty right now, want to transition to Fabian's forecast. And I'll try to keep this a fairly quick two-parter with you, Suma. First off, looking back, we do know with the benefit of hindsight what happened in that Chiefs-Jags game after Mahomes went down. And there was a brief window of live betting opportunity. I, I don't want to root this too much in hindsight since people cannot act on it right now. But try to look forward and see what we can take away from this should we see any injuries to marquee players over the course of this weekend or perhaps in the Super Bowl, I feel like there was a brief moment where when Mahomes first went down, again, we didn't know at the time, was it a high ankle sprain? Was there a broken or fractured bone? But for a lot of betters, the knee-jerk reaction would be just pound whatever you can get on the Jags and the under and that kind of scenario. And I'm wondering for you what the process was like in real time watching that unfold. If you yourself got down on some Jags and under when Mahomes first went down, and from also a more forward-looking standpoint, how you would advise people processing major injuries like this in real time should we see them moving forward? I think with such an injury, the logical um, um, direction would be open your live betting board and look at uh, what the under and the, and the spread is currently because a lot of live betting algorithms are not so fast and so quick to quickly pull down all the markets and um, adjust for that. So when a good starting uh, quarterback um, goes down in the middle of the game, it's usually a good look to immediately grab the under and the and the um, underdog. And then if there is some, let's say, clearance uh, later in the game where Mahomes uh, can back, you might also be able bearing some crazy juice to buy back on that. All right, well said. And then the other part of Fabian's forecast I want to touch on, building what we did last week, looking ahead to possible conference championship lines, maybe a similar thought exercise for the Super Bowl. And I want to note, you gave some great caveats around why to take look-ahead lines that we're just making up in this conversation with a grain of salt. I mean, who could have seen the Mahomes injury coming? We didn't know what Hurts would look like. And while he's still not 100%, I think we could say he passed his test with flying colors on Saturday night in Philadelphia. So if we look at the possible Super Bowl openers, I'll also note that I posted a thread this past Friday evening, basically outlining my own process that I found rewarding over the years of preparing ahead of time, adapting in real time, and then acting accordingly if and when opportunities present themselves with some soft openers. I think a key part of that preparation pillar would be just having in mind what the lines could be for any of the potential matchups in the next round. Again, at this stage, we've got to take the Chiefs with a huge grain of salt because if they win this game, then they would be upgraded considerably over the team that is now a decided home underdog to Cincinnati. And we also just don't know what Mahomes will look like. So all caveats on the table. What would you say if we run through a matchup like Philadelphia, Kansas City? What we know right now, if it's the two one seeds, any thought as to a possible Super Bowl line? Yes, you hinted at it already. I think if, if the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, it means that Mahomes probably had a quite a decent game and didn't look as injured as uh, he may look right now. And then he will have another two weeks to prepare um, and get his um, ankle sprain ready to go with some, I think, rest uncertainty depending um, on how good he feels this Sunday. I think KC Philly on a neutral field would be like a pick'em. I don't think that you can make any real case 
for why either team should be significantly favored over the other. So yeah, KC, Philly, I would go with a with a pick'em. Um, conditioned on on Patrick Mahomes playing decent and not being as injured um, uh, going to the Super Bowl. Sounds good. And then we can go rapid fire through the other three potential Super Bowl matchups. We know a lot more about both the Bengals and the Eagles. Currently, fortunately, no major quarterback question marks. What do you think the line should be if we do get an Eagles-Bengals matchup in the Super Bowl? Eagles-Bengals. Eagles are small favorites, in my opinion. Something like minus one and a half, minus two-ish. I still think that, um, yes, since he has the better quarterback in general, but the Eagles are the better team top to bottom, well old machine, great on both sides of the ball. I think they should be favored on a neutral against uh, the Bengals. And should the Niners pull the upset, how about a quick thought on a possible opener for 49ers against the Chiefs? 49ers Chiefs, I think that the Chiefs uh, should be uh, favored here. Also, small favorite. Um, not by a field goal. Um, again, considering Patrick Mahomes will be close to 100% or something, uh, Chiefs should be favored, um, something in the range of uh, minus one and a half, minus two. We also had that, uh, we, we, we would have that rematch, and back in week, I don't know, nine, 10, 11, or something like that, the Chiefs absolutely hammered the Niners. Uh, that might be in the, in the um, back of some, of, of some heads. Yeah, that would be a tough one to forget if we do see that rematch. And if I recall correctly offhand right here, we did not see San Francisco take on Cincinnati this season as we did last season. So if we see the 2022-2023 versions of the 49ers and the Bengals in the Super Bowl, the last of the four possible matchups, where do you think that one opens? Uh, nine are small favorites. Um, again, better team top to bottom. Tough front seven that might actually cause some problems for the Bengals offensive line over the course of the Super Bowl. We saw we saw it last uh, last season when Aaron Donald took over that that final game. Um, at that point, the Bengals O line comes into play, especially uh, when they're scoring pressure. So um, I, I would go with with the Niners as short favorites. And when I think about it, uh, would be a very interesting Super Bowl because um, I have not gone to any um, field goal spread here. So it should be a tighter, um, narrower Super Bowl than in um, 2021. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy that with the two games on the board this week and then any of the four possible matchups we could see on Super Sunday, we might have seen our last line uh, as high as a field goal or more for the entire season. So it might be next fall before we see another field goal favorite. But that should make for some compelling viewing over the next couple of rounds to cap off this season and hopefully some compelling betting opportunities as well. Suma, want to thank you. We are now uh, a decent bit over half an hour, and I thought with only two games on the slate, this would be perhaps our shortest show, but the level of insight is always greatly appreciated. And to anybody in the audience who shares that appreciation, if you're not doing so already, cannot recommend highly enough that you go follow Suma on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And you can also find me there at MLandis18. Thanks to everybody for tuning into this episode of Props and Hops. And I'll be back in a couple days with Hitman for our conference championship weekend prop betting breakdown.